0: John chapter 19. We will be in verse 16. This is the verse that we ended with a couple weeks ago. Verse 16 of John chapter 19. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Just raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. You can keep the Bible. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, you can keep it. It's our gift to you. John chapter 19, verse 16. Says this, Then he, meaning Pilate, the Roman judge, delivered him, meaning Jesus, to them. "...to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the Place of a Skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center." Now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Therefore the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write, the King of the Jews, but he said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate answered, verse 22, would I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier a part, and also the tunic, now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on, it on hyssop, and put it in his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Let's pray. Father, we're, we're on sacred ground here. I'm mindful of that. Lord, as I'm up here reading, as I'm up here teaching, Lord, I pray for myself that that I will, by what I say, I won't make that which is sacred common. This is, this is sacred. It's, it's what has been, this message, this picture has been breathing life into men, women, and children for 2,000 years, Lord. And we ask, we pray, continue that work here today at Calvary Chapel in the city as well as at churches all over this city, Lord. We ask that you do that. We need this picture. We need these words. We need this story, Lord, to remind us of your love, to remind us of who we are, to remind us that we're the ones that put Jesus there. Well, what could that mean? Well, Lord, Show us what that means. Fill us, fill me, fill all of us, Lord, with the Holy Spirit. Guide us and lead us, Lord, as we open up this scripture, Lord. For those who have read it many times, may it be like the first time breathing life into them. Those reading it for the first time today, yes, Lord, take the veil from over their, their face, the, the blindness of their eyes, Lord, make them see everything that is in here for them, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Okay, so again in verse 16 where we began... We read, then he, Pilate, that's the Roman judge, delivered him, meaning Jesus, to them, meaning his accusers, the Jewish leaders who had brought him to the Roman judge, Pilate. He delivered him to them to be crucified. Now, If you've been with us, if you were here a couple weeks ago when we left off, it is odd that this is happening because three times this Roman judge, Pilate, had declared to the the multitude, everyone who was there, his accusers and everyone else, that he was innocent. The first time in verse 38 of chapter 18, he said, I find no fault in him at all. The second time at the end of verse 4, chapter 19, I find no fault in him. Again in verse at the end of verse 6, chapter 19, I find no fault in him. So what's he doing? Giving him over to be crucified. You can and should be asking that question. The answer really is tied to the very beginning of the book of John, uh, chapter 1. You don't have to turn there, but um, we've actually started in John over a year and a half ago. When we're in that chapter, what we saw was John the Baptist. He was baptizing at the river Jordan and Jesus approached him. At the time Jesus approached John the Baptist, no one knew about him. He was not a public figure. You know, today you can go anywhere in the world and you can find folks who uh, know about Jesus. At this time, he was not a, they didn't know. John chapter 1, they didn't know him. And as Jesus approached John the Baptist, John pointed at him or he presented him and he said, Behold or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God. Now, most of the folks there, the people there being baptized, the River Jordan, knew what he was referring to, a Lamb, a Lamb of God. And the reason for that, really, it all begins in Genesis chapter 2. It says in Genesis chapter 2 that God formed man and woman from the dust of the ground. And, and then he planted a garden and he, he, he placed man and woman there, Adam and Eve. It says in Genesis that God blessed Adam and Eve there and he gave them the garden as their own. And he, but he said to them, he said, in Genesis chapter 2, he said, of every tree of the garden... You may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Next chapter, chapter 3 of Genesis, the serpent tempts Eve, and, 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 and he says to her, no, go ahead, eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, go for it, eat it. And and Eve responded, she says, no, I can't do that. Um, God says that we may eat the fruit of the tree of the garden, but the fruit of that tree, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, or you will die. you know what the serpent said? He said, said, you won't die. (laughs) God doesn't want you to eat it because he knows that if you eat it, you will become like God. And oh, that seemed like such a great, great idea to Eve, to be like God. And she ate it. She ate that fruit. Ever since then, every man and woman, child, including every, all of you in this room, we've really liked that idea. Too. We really like the idea that we can be God. When rubber meets the road, it's, when it's, we, we like to be a God, meaning in control of our own life. The king of our own life. And we've done the same thing. Every man, woman, and child since Genesis chapter 3 doing the same thing. Now, that could have been the end of the story. And God would have been, what happened What happened there was uh, death entered in. Physical death entered in. Spiritual death, a, a broken, a, actually what's say a broken relationship with God, actually much more, a ruined relationship with God, entered in. Eternal death entered in. And and that could, just as God had said was going to happen, he said if you eat of that fruit, you will surely die. And so death death entered in. And and that could have been the end of the story. And if it was the end of the story, God would have been perfectly just. Perfectly just. Just ending the story right there. Genesis chapter 3. But he did not do that. He did not do that. Instead, what we saw in Genesis chapter 4 was the introduction of a lamb. God so loved the world, he's a just God, and he he has to punish sin. Even at our best, as we just heard in the presentation, even at our best, 80,000 sins in an average life. He's, he's got to punish that. He's, if he didn't punish it, he, he wouldn't be just. If he's not just, he wouldn't be God. But he's love. And he introduced the lamb in Genesis chapter 4. He, and in Genesis chapter 4, what, what, we see uh, Adam and Eve's second son, Abel, he's sacrificing a lamb. A lamb, and that lamb was a foreshadowing of the lamb of God. Uh, In John chapter three, verse 16, we read, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the, the, the lamb of God, that whoever believes in that lamb would not perish but have eternal life. Life, not death. Death was assured in Genesis chapter two but life is introduced in Genesis chapter 4 because the Lamb of God is going to die in our place. We see that in, in John chapter 19, but introduced in Genesis chapter 4. So, in the book of Exodus, which is the next... Book after Genesis, we see that the, uh, the law is given to the Israelites, to Moses. A man or woman who had sinned, who had violated God's law, came to the tabernacle. They came to the temple with a lamb, a sin offering. It was a sin offering, a substitute. So, so they don't have to die. They're, they're able to bring a lamb. And so now, before. They offered that lamb at the tabernacle, at the temple. There was a requirement in the law and the requirement was that the priests had to examine that lamb. The priest had to examine the lamb before it was offered as a sacrifice. Many lambs would have been turned away. The lamb had to be perfect. It could not be deformed. It could not be missing an eye. It could not have whatever, mange on it. It couldn't be diseased. It had to be a perfect Lamb. So, with all that, back to the verse that we started with today, verse 16, it says that Pilate, the Roman judge, delivered Jesus to them to be crucified. Consider this that they led him or Pilate gave him a way to be crucified, what had just happened? He had been examined, right? He had been examined by the priests. The chief priests had examined him before Pilate. Actually, Jesus went through an examination before Pilate. The difference was, of course, is that they were doing everything to try to convince the Roman judge that he was guilty, In in fact, we have this verse here from the book of Luke. Uh, It says this, it says, the chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently, meaning really loud, really, really loud. They were accusing him, Jesus. They were putting him through an exam. Little did they know they were fulfilling the law of every lamb that was offered on the altar, had to be examined. Little did they know that. The problem was, the judge, three times. John 18, 38, I find no fault in him at all. John 19, verse 4, I find no fault in him. And John 19, 6, I find no fault in him. And so what happened? Verse 16, just as happened for thousands of years after a lamb was examined, Jesus was sent off to be offered as a sacrifice, a sacrifice for sin. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says that I didn't come to do away with the law because he was, do, he was saying some radical, radical things. I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. So he's, it, it, and throughout the story of his trial and his crucifixion and the resurrection, there's so much fulfillment of law and prophecy. He's fulfilling the law here. So let's just continue there. It says, note that it says that at the uh, second part of verse 16, they took Jesus and they led him away. Now underline that word led, L e. We slow down here at Calvary Chapel As we're reading through the Bible Because we, don't want, to, we want to try not to miss anything and, and, and I will draw your attention That each time that Jesus was led to Either a trial or to the cross He, he wasn't dragged away He was led away So in John chapter 18, verse 13, when he was arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane, he was led to the house of Annas and Caiaphas, led there. He didn't, they didn't drag him there. All of you have probably seen, seen some of you may have been this person, dragged when you, by the police officer or whoever uh, to jail or, or, or to the prosecutor. It didn't happen when Jesus was taken in John chapter 18 verse 28 from the Jewish court to the Roman court, the Roman judge, again, John 18 verse 28 said he was led. And then when he is taken from the Roman court, the Roman judge, to the cross here in verse 16 of chapter 19, they led him away. He says voluntarily, he goes. This is a fulfillment of prophecy by the way a thousand years before isaiah wrote this isaiah 53 verse 7 he when the messiah comes you will recognize him because he will be led he was led as a lamb to the slaughter now i'm not a shepherd but i'm told or read about those who are, are shepherds that this is what lambs are like they're silent and they're led. They willingly go to the slaughterhouse. I guess other animals, they, f- they figure out what's going on. They hear squeals and yelps of, of their fellow animals getting slaughtered. And they get nervous. They try to resist. Jesus was led like a lamb to slaughter. He wasn't dragged. He was led. So let's continue. Let's work our way through here. The crucifixion. Verse 17 says, And he, Jesus, bearing his cross, went out to a place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. So the crucifixion. It is remarkable that in all four gospels including John here it's just it's just so simple there's very little description of it just he was crucified Most forms of execution in human history are done quickly or have been done quickly That was not how the Romans executed those who had been condemned to death. Crucifixion was a long, slow, agonizing form of execution. An iron stake driven through the hands of the condemned. An iron stake driven through the feet of the condemned. Usually took 12 to 18 hours for the condemned to die. Sometimes two or three days. The purpose of this, the purpose of drawing the whole thing out was to humiliate the victim, but also just to terrify those who were witnessing it. It was the Roman way of saying, this is what happens to you if you break our law. And the Romans did that very thing. And by the way, it wasn't in remote places. You can kind of pick this up in... Verse 20, where it says, then many of the Jews read the title for the place where Jesus was crucified, it was near the city. It was on a road. They did it by a road, so many people would see. Sometimes you see this, this picture of the three crosses. It's on a hill, you know, far away. I think there's even a hymn that says that. And, and there's, a, there's a road that ends at the cross. That didn't happen. It was on a road. The Romans wanted as many people as possible to see this long execution taking place. In Matthew and Mark, we read that there were people passing by as the crucifixion had was going on at the time. And so, uh, this is the form of execution that the Romans used at the time. But it is so important that you understand that Supremely, this was not the Romans' choice of how Jesus died. It was God's choice. It was God's choice of execution. You know, we, we struggle sometimes when we read the Bible. You know, you hear the expression from time to time, you read something, it's like, wait, that, that's not my Jesus. Explain this to me, or that's not my God. Explain this to me. And if we don't dig deeper, we're going to stay confused in, in, in our understanding of who, of who God is. Why would God choose this form of execution? And by the way, uh, I, I say that God chose this form of execution. How do I know that? Well, a thousand years before this time, Psalm 22, it specifically says before crucifixion even existed as a form of execution, Psalm 22, verse 16, a prophetic psalm, meaning a psalm that talked about the Messiah, says they pierced my hands and my feet. There's no way the psalmist could have known what they were even writing about because crucifixion didn't exist At that time. In addition, Jesus himself had told his disciples before he was crucified that he would be crucified. God chose this this manner of execution. So, why? Why does he choose such a humiliating, agonizing form of death? And I'm I'm glad we just saw that presentation by Heather and Keniza of presentation of the gospel because the reason is is that your sin and my sin is great. It's long. It's a long history. It's a record of sin that's so deep, so vast, so long. We, we don't understand. We have such a shallow understanding of what it really means for us to turn up our nose and violate the law of the God who spoke and the heavens and earth came into existence. We have no idea just the depth uh, 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 of, of that sin, of that record. And, 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 and God also knew that, that there would be some who would do things, and some of you are here today, that would do things that would cause them to have such guilt and shame that they cry out in their hearts. And some of you are there, That you, you're, you're thinking in your heart, there's no way that God could ever forgive me of that thing. God knew this. He knew this about you. And and, and, and so this form of execution, this long, drawn out, agonizing, humiliating death, the Bible says, as we talked about two weeks ago, he wasn't even recognizable at the time he showed up at the cross. Before he even was executed. But God knew that there would be people crying out, there's no way I'm ever gonna be forgiven. And to that he says what? Look at the cross. Look at the cross, that perfect, undefiled, spotless Lamb of God. Yes, your sin is ugly, but it's not that ugly. Yes, your sin requires a punishment, a payment, but look at the cross, the the punishment God suffers, that payment that he made far, far exceedingly outweighs that, yes, ugly thing, that thing, those things That stuff that you did. Verse 18 also says that, at the end of verse 18, it says that Jesus was in the center. He was in the center, and there was one on his right, another on his left, and we know from the other gospels, we know that they were thieves, they were criminals. One on his left and one on his right. And again, the Romans, when they crucified Jesus, and it's unclear whether the Jews had a role in placing him there in the center, it was to humiliate, look at this guy, he's, just, he's a common criminal, he's, he's a baseless nothing. They meant to humiliate him. But supremely, this was God's choice. Again, Isaiah 53 9 says this, and they made his grave with the wicked. Speaking of the Messiah, a prophecy written a thousand years before. They made his grave with the wicked. And he's at the center. And this is all about what God wanted to happen. First of all, this event, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, was and is the central event in all of human history. All of history before looking to the cross. If 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 man has demonstrated anything in his history, the history of the world, it's that he needs redemption. He needs salvation. And, and, and every, all history before was looking to the cross, all of history after looking back to the cross. Uh, even our calendar, the year 2018, is, is the years from, from his birth, or the work of Christ, which includes uh, the crucifixion, B.C., before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Now one thing they do, the academics do do in this city Students be ready for this is they've changed those two little uh, letters around and so now uh, B C is no longer before Christ you can't do that you can't introduce Christianity into reading materials so they've renamed it and now it's B C E any of you seen this B C E meaning before Common Era and then <laughs> after <laughs> yes. Laugh, go ahead, laugh, you have my permission. And then um, after AD, which is Latin for um, anno domini, which means the year of our Lord, they've changed that to, to just to mean CE, which means common error. But all that is utter foolishness because they can't stop the fact that 1918, rather 2018, is not the common error it's not 2018 years after the common era began. It's 2018 years after Jesus' birth, his work, and his crucifixion. That's what it's about. So it's the he's the center here. He's at the center. These two men. He's the center center really of, of human history. But just or, or more important as of, of him being placed in the center. Is the fact that he's in the center of two criminals. Everyone else may have thought this is the most humiliating thing that could possibly have been done to the perfect Lamb of God, but he was, it was his joy to be there, counted as a criminal. He, he's at the center of them. And, and, and really, those two criminals, they represent uh, the entire human race. Now, we know one of those criminals from the book of Luke eventually comes to faith in Christ and meets him in paradise. The other one one dies cursing him, goes to his grave rejecting him. And, And those two criminals, they represent all of human history, every man, woman, and child, including all of us in this room. Criminals. Jesus chose to be among criminals when he died just so he can show us, show you, And completely identify with you. You're a criminal. But I loved you so much. I went right into your midst to die for you. So we don't like to think of ourselves as criminals. And then for those of you who just saw that presentation right before the sermon started, I hope you're convinced now. But the Bible says all of us are. Whether or not we've done time in jail. We're right on the same plane. At the foot of the cross, everyone's equal. Everybody's a criminal. We violated the law. Lo- we, we have committed crimes against the living God. As a presentation said in the Bible, lying cheating and stealing is sin. So it's thinking about those sins. Anger is murder. Lust is adultery, Jesus says we all have a record a mile long. We're all criminals at the foot of of the cross. And, and and of course God knew all about this. He chose this. Again, in Isaiah 53 verse 12, it says this, he was numbered with the transgressors. And some of you be saying, what on earth does that mean? Why did the translators do this to me? Well, for that, I, I have the NIV Reader's Version. This is what our kids are studying now in, in Sunday school, and it's actually the translation I need from time to time to figure out what a verse says. He was counted among those who had committed crimes. This is speaking, again, a thousand years before. Uh, it's speaking about what ha- would happen to the Messiah, your Messiah, the Savior. So let's continue. It says in verse 19, it says, now Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Then many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So all three languages. And, 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 you know, Steffi and I, my wife and I, we know people right now. They're, they're in a place in the world translating the Bible to other languages. Little, little did the Roman judge Pilate know that what he was doing was going to be uh, really prophetical in nature because this whole thing about the cross, this was going to be in every language. Jesus is the king. There is a king, and that king is God, and you need him. And he loves you. Now the thieves would have had a, either a sign hanging on them around their neck or a title over their, uh, over them on the cross. A t- just a sign that says thief or whatever their crime was. Now, I think it's just a, a wonderful, by God's mighty power, the hand of God. He doesn't let that happen to his son. Even though he's becoming a thief, he's becoming a criminal. He's innocent. He's a king. And and it says that they tried to. It says um, in verse uh, 21, it says they tried to get the Roman governor to change his mind. Therefore, the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews. Don't do that. He's not the king of the Jews. Instead, write, quote, he said, I am the king of the Jews. Verse 22, Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. And so we've been writing, reading about that for 2,000 years. It just stays in place there. Then it says in verse 23, Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic, the tunic of the robe, Now the tunic, the robe, was without seam woven from the top in one piece. If you're wondering, you students of the Old Testament, I hope all of you become, or if you're not already. Exodus 28, verses 32, the high priest was required to have a tunic, a robe, that's woven all one piece. So Jesus called in the Bible, our high priest. He's the fulfillment of that office. He's your high priest. The Bible says he's ever making intercession, ever praying for you, just as the high priest did for Israel in the Old Testament. He's fulfilling that office. Verse 24, they said, therefore, amongst themselves, meaning the soldiers said to themselves, let's not tear it, but cast lot for it, meaning his garment, whose it shall be, That the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. Uh, This verse, I'm going to put it up on the projection screen again. Psalm 22, verse 18. Again, written a thousand years before. It's a prophecy about Jesus' death they'll divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. And you know, as I, as I reflect on this, just gambling, just playing games. <laughs> They're playing games. Well, Jesus was crucified. I personally think this is a picture of the body of Christ in the United States of America. The Lord Jesus has done a, an incredible work on the cross and he continues that work until this day. The book of Acts makes that really clear. He continues in a, in a different body through the body of Christ. And this is the one thing, you want to know what keeps me awake at night, From time to time, it's like, what if I'm doing all this preparing, just studying this praying and the folks at Calvary Chapel in the city are playing games? And God, please forbid me. I speak to my own heart, by the way. Forbid me from just playing games. And and we read about this terrible scene, this long, agonizing scene, this drawn-out scene. Of the cross, so that when we look at it, we rightly conclude: I got to stop playing games, and I have been playing games. I got to stop that. That's why we read about this. That's why this cross is front and center in history. <laughs> Jesus at the center of history. Let's continue. Verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom Jesus loved, meaning John, the man who wrote this uh, book, standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son, pointing at John. John. <laughs> Verse 27, and then he said to the disciple, Behold your mo- mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. You know, just pause for a, a minute here. What better illustration, what a better picture we have? Who can know the heart of a mom except a mom? Who can know that heart? And I'm a father. I, I, I've had experiences in my life where where some of my children have experienced an enormous amount of pain and suffering. Uh, oh, our heart, how our heart agonizes. Or, or, or our children, uh, there may not be physical pain, but they're, they're, they're experiencing rejection at school, or, or whatever it is, or on their you know, on their sports team or whatever it is, and just the agonizing pain. And Jesus, it says, when he saw his mother, this guy has the weight of the world on him, and he's thinking, about, he's thinking about his mother. Moms, you have a holy, sacred calling. And so he, he provides for his mother there and says, from that hour She went into the Apostle John's home and essentially became his mother. Verse 28 says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine put it on hyssop, which is like a branch, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, by the way, when it says bowing his head, note it doesn't say he dropped his head when he died because he literally, he's the only person in human history, as it says there, it says he gave up his spirit. (laughs) Jesus said earlier in the book of John, no one takes my life, From me, I lay it down myself. He literally bowed his head down and gave up his spirit, not the other way around. So let's just wrap this up here. It says, again in verse 28, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. What, is, what has been accomplished here? What's been accomplished? Well, a couple of things had just happened. Of course, he's, he's led a perfect life, which meant that he was qualified now to be that perfect lamb of God, a sacrifice. But certain things had just happened on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. God made him, meaning Jesus, who knew, who had committed no sin, to become sin for us, which is what happened at the cross, that we might become the goodness, the righteousness of God. That had just happened on the cross. He had taken on the sin, started in Gethsemane, finishes on the cross. He had taken on our sin. It had been accomplished. This is again, verse 28, Jesus knowing that all things had been accomplished. What else had been accomplished? On the cross, he had become a, Target for God's anger so that you and me don't have to experience God's anger or his wrath. He began began a target of, of God's wrath. Now, again, yet another verse. That we read and it's like it makes us feel uncomfortable unless we go deeper. It says this also in Isaiah 53. Uh, again, a thousand years before Jesus was born. This is what was written about what would happen to him on the cross. It pleased the Lord, speaking of the Father, to bruise him. It pleased the Father to bruise him. What? He has put him to grief when you, when you, meaning God the Father, make his soul an offering for sin. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. Not that God got some kind of enjoyment out of seeing his son die. It caused his heart to weep. But it pleased him to, to bruise him because through the cross, through bruising Jesus, through pouring out his wrath on him, it wouldn't be going out on you. And God Himself would get all the glory as the result. And then it says that knowing all things were accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he said, I thirst. Now what's that about? Why is it because all things were accomplished, so that Scripture will be fulfilled? He said, I thirst. The reason was is because he needed to cry out those final words in verse 30. It is finished. The other gospel said he cried out. He yelled, "It is finished." Now, a man who has been on a cross and the, and the Bible says that when the, 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 the scholars tell you that when someone's on a cross, they actually die of asphyxiation, of being no more air, be, they're breathing, they're trying to, to to breathe because they're shagging down and, and their lungs collapse and they can't breathe. And and they're thirsty. They're incredibly thirsty so much that they can't speak. And scripture had said that when Messiah dies, he he's, he's going to be He's going to be expressing that it's complete. And he knew he had to cry this out, but he couldn't talk other than at a whisper. I don't know, you know, we're so used to it in the year 2018 uh, of availability of water. I don't know, maybe some of you in here have been so thirsty that you could barely talk. Some of you have seen this in a movie. I remember seeing a movie about this where, where the person was so thirsty they could only whisper. So it says that when Jesus knew, he, he, he had to cry out so everyone know that it's finished, it's complete. It says he, he says, I thirst. They gave him They gave him some sour wine. He wet his palate, literally. That's what was going on, so he could cry out, It is finished. He cried it out. And then it says, bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. One of the other gospels uh, actually said, the final words were, into your hands I commend my spirit. I give my spirit. Just talking to his father. It is finished. What is finished? All those sacrifices every day for the past 1,500 years in the temple and the tabernacle, the uh, the lambs who were foreshadowing Jesus day in and day out, That reminder, all the animal sacrifices done. No longer necessary. The Lamb of God has has paid your debt, our debt, has paid the punishment. What else is finished? The priesthood finished. The the priesthood in the Old Testament, the the high priest was merely a foreshadowing of Jesus who's now in heaven and who intercedes, who prays for us. We don't have any need anymore for a priest. We go directly to God. It's finished. What is finished? All the prophecies about Jesus. The power of Satan over over the children of God. The power of sin. The satisfaction of God's justice. Everything that was needed to be done in order for you to have an everlasting relationship with God. It was finished. Jesus said every single temptation. Hebrews chapter 4. In all things he was tempted just like you and me. Except without sin. It's all that he was—the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, the crucifixion. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now, and I, I just want to to share some thoughts to so close out the message and just for our worship. You know, in Acts chapter two, the very first time a guy got behind a pulpit and preached a sermon like this. It was in Acts chapter 2. Peter, the apostle Peter, got up and he he said to the multitude, you killed Jesus. You killed him. And the people cried out. They said, we agree. See, See, the Lord, by the Holy Spirit, had had instructed them, had opened up their eyes, like what wow, their sin had killed Jesus. Once you see the picture of the cross, once you understand the, the depth of your own sin, you realize if there was never any sin in, in the world, there never would have been a cross. My sin killed Jesus. And, and just this picture of the cross, just so powerful, and, and, and I, I want to leave you with, with, with a quote from my devotional, an uh, 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 English Puritan by the name of William Garnall. He said, you know, the next time you, g- you get tempted, think about the cross. Think about that picture of the cross, what was going on. Think about how long it was, how humiliated, the shame that was there. Jesus, we didn't even talk about it. They, 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 they gambled away his garments. He had no garments left. He was naked. There was an expression at the time. That person is as naked as a baby or someone being crucified. That was an expression at the time. He took on that shame. Next time you're tempted, think of this. I cannot obey my lust for to do so I must go over my bleeding Savior. William Garneau. The cross And we put him there. You, me. Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, Beloved, this is Charles Spurgeon, a pastor from the 19th century. I will not tell you of man's adulteries, his fornications, his murders, his poisonings, his sodomies. I will not tell you of man's wars and bloodsheds and cruelties and rebellions. I will tell you about man's sin. He put to death his God and he slew his Savior. And when I have told you that, I have given you the essence of all sin. In 1 John 1, verse 9, it says this. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I gave a sermon on this a couple of years ago. We were in 1 John. This, I gave a sermon on this. And, you know, for me, for years, I, I got the faithful part. He's faithful and just. You know, God is faithful to forgive. I get that. I understand that. It took me a while to get there. But I never understood the just part. What do you mean he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness? What do you mean just? Well what it means is this when Jesus died on the cross what, 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 what really happened there was a judge God the judge wrote a judicial order about you and he signed it with his, in his own blood forgiven paid in full it is finished is a, is a Greek word. It's one word, tetelestai. It, it means paid in full. They used to stamp that on, you know, on bills that had been paid. Paid in full. There was a judicial order that was, that was given. And so when you accept Jesus and what he did for you on the cross as your king, your lord, your savior... The Bible says that that judicial order comes into play such that when you sin, when you've messed up or when you're thinking about that thing that you did 10, 15, 20 years ago and and you're being condemned and and there's a voice in in your head, the accuser of the brethren saying, there's no way you are going to heaven. Jesus... Who says is our great high priest he's praying for us even at this very moment and the prayer is he's holding up this judicial order that says forgiven and it says no that woman's forgiven that man forgive him that child forgive him he's faithful and just because a just doesn't a judge does, a just judge doesn't uh, order something and then change his mind that would be an unjust judge. that says if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Now, uh, back to that presentation that you heard just prior to my message today, Heather and Kaniza. One of the things that we in Boston, what we get a lot of is we run into Muslim folks and, and we talk with them about, about Jesus. Now, uh, Muslim folks are the easiest people in the city to talk about God because they love to talk about the Bible. And they they, they, they uh, do so with smiles and passion and you don't have to be scared about going up to a Muslim person. And talking about the Bible Because they like to talk about it Now guys you shouldn't be Going up to Muslim women Because that's an offense You need to respect that But but but, uh, but, but, talking with them About the Bible They love it And one thing that often Comes up with a Muslim person Which by the way Also comes up with Many many people Who had some experience In a Christian church Is well you can never know If you're going to heaven You can never ever ever know Even the best person On the face of the earth Look He may get to he may get to uh, the judgment seat someday and say, sorry. And so they have no assurance of salvation. And, and this is also true. So many times you're talking to someone who grew up in the church who's going to a church now. And, and we ask the question, have you come to the place in your life where you, if you died today, that you know that you're going to heaven? Well, you know, you, no one can really know until God decides. Hear that all the time. Not true. There has been a judicial order that's been signed in blood that says forgiven to any person who says, yes, come in, Jesus, be my king. So God's not arbitrary, meaning it's not just like, well, you know, I, I, I don't know, and I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll decide with this person whether or not, you know, I, I'm gonna let them into heaven. There's, and that's what keeps so many people they they don't have peace they have anxiety their relationship with this is why so many people in Boston want to talk about God because they really don't know how can you ever really know you're going to heaven so they want to talk about God if we confess our our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins that's what happened at the cross that judicial order was signed you could just rise for the closing worship song. If you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time. Look, if your heart has been stirred and you're thinking of, you know, as I was explaining this, that just the need, or maybe you were listening to Heather and you, you give their gospel presentation. Just wow, I. I have never asked Jesus into my life to be Lord and King. Well, come on up. It's a a prayer of faith. The Bible says it's not easy, but it's simple, prayer of faith. We do need to count the cost before we do it. But there's nothing that we can add. It is finished, meaning it is complete. You can't add to it your own good works or anything else. It's complete. If you've never done that, come up. We had someone after the first service give give her life to to Jesus. Or if you've been listening and you're you're, you're thinking, well, I did that, I made Jesus my king, but wow, you don't want to. This thing about it is complete, it's finished, it is accomplished includes the power of sin over a follower of Jesus. That's done, that's complete finished. You don't have to be controlled by the power of sin. You want someone just to, to pray for you. And so you can just embrace this by faith and get the grace of God. Understand the grace of God. The Bible says that all things have been given to us. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 2. For life and godliness. We have it. And sometimes wow, we need to come next to a brother sister in Christ and just pray that in. So let's worship. I'm going to pray and then we'll worship. And if you need prayer, come on up. Father, I just thank you in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, for this picture. Lord, continue doing this deep work in our hearts of what you have accomplished. Lord, you you say in your word that you've created us for your glory and also that we could know and understand and believe who you are Lord you've been doing that you've been teaching us so that we might believe and understand and know who you are today and I just pray that you continue that work Lord even as we worship now just pray this in Jesus name